Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Sunday message, but he asked me to preach today, and I'm so excited to do that. Um, I had a lot of time to get ready for this message. Sometimes you get a little while's notice, and sometimes you get the phone call on Sunday morning, I'm sick, you're up. (laughs) That was not this day. Last time we had one of those, it was Brandon Gee, and he killed it. It was amazing. He did a great job. Uh, but, uh, so I, so I had time to prep this message and I just kept adding to it and adding to it. We won't be here long. Uh, it'll be a little longer than normal, but I'm sure we'll be out of here by 3 PM at the very latest. No, of course I'm kidding. We're going to stay on track today. Um, and I say that, but, uh, I need the help with the timer. If you could help me with that. Um, we're going to get into today's message because I've, I've had a word that I feel like the Lord put on my heart for a while and I get to share it with you today. We're talking about identity because this generation is asking the question loud and clear, who am I? Who am I? See, in America right now, it's not that very easy to answer that question. It used to be easy to answer that question. A hundred years ago, if you said, who am I? You would get a response like, well, I'm a Christian. Today, culture would say, well, so what? What does that even do for you? That's kind of outdated, isn't it? It's kind of narrow-minded. If we, said, if we asked that question 100 years ago, you'd get answers like, well, I'm an American citizen. Now culture challenges that and says, well, what's that supposed to mean? We could say things like, we used to say, be able to say things that are simple like, well, I'm a man. Well, we know that's being challenged. Simple answers like, I'm a creation of God. Culture today would say, don't be ridiculous. Evolution killed God 100 years ago. So you see, the answers are not easy anymore. The answers are not easy to come by. Those answers have been chipped away, stripped away in our culture. No wonder we have a generation that doesn't know who they are. No wonder we have a generation that will throw themselves at anything 100% if they can find a sense of meaning and value to it. For you older generations, I can understand why this generation looks incredibly self-centered to you, but it's because they have no idea who self is. They have no idea who self is, and it's tough. See, this generation has been told that the answers lie within yourself. Nothing could be further from the truth. The answers do not lie within yourself. And when this generation figures that out, when men and women, boys and girls figure that out, that the answers don't lie within themselves, they come up short. What happens is one of two things. Either they think there's something wrong with themselves, which leads to self-harm. We've seen a lot of that in our community. Or they realize that they've been lied to. And when a person realizes that they've been lied to, they start to close in. They start to become more distrusting. So now they're even less receptive to the word of God that somebody might be willing to share with them. They become more and more insulated, more and more isolated. And this is a lonely place to be. We're more connected than we've ever been with the internet and with social media. But we're lonelier than we've ever been. Why is that? It's because people are less and less trusting because they've been lied to. So there's a culture war going on in America right now. 
right? And today's message is very much in response to that culture war, to this question of identity. I want to remind you this morning, as a church, it is important that we are answering the questions that people are actually asking. If we are not answering the questions that people are actually asking, we are being irrelevant. And I'm not saying the church as in the building or even the organization, the community of the church. Listen, you and I are the church. We have some skin in the game. It is my responsibility and yours to be able to give an answer when someone asks a serious question. Give you an example. If somebody at your work comes to you and says, hey, I've got a serious question for you, something I've been really chewing on, and you say, let me get you in touch with my pastor, you've lost them. They didn't want to talk to your pastor. They want to talk to you. You're the person who they have a relationship with. So you who carry Christ's name are responsible for knowing, for being able to give good answers. And I'm not saying we need to be a Bible encyclopedia here today. But I'm saying we need to know how to get to the heart of the issues. And we need to be ready to answer people's real questions. There's a lot of chaos and confusion in our culture right now. Instead of answers and direction. I want to share some good news with you though. We have the answers. Not just we as in Grace Church of course. I mean we as in anybody who wants to seek the truth. Anybody who wants the truth of God's word. It's available for the asking. Isn't that good news today? Amen. We have access to true solutions, real solutions for people's real questions and problems. The Bible is fighting a cosmic war of eternal consequences. That's where our attention should be this morning. I, uh, let, we're going to look at what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. It's going to be up on the screen. If you're fast enough, you can get there with us. But I love how Pastor Daryl brought this up just two weeks ago. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This is our war. We talk about a culture war. This is the war for the Christian. Amen, Nick. <laughs> a war against strongholds of human reasoning and false arguments. A war against proud obstacles that would dare to stand up against the name of Jesus and keep people from knowing him. A war against rebellious thoughts of humanity. So that leads us to today's topic of identity. What does culture say about identity? What does the Bible say about identity? You see, people get the notion that the Bible is out of date because they say that the issues that we wrestle with today were not present when the Bible was written. I've got some great news for you. The Bible is absolutely relevant in today's world. Absolutely relevant. I'm about to say something big. If you think the Bible isn't relevant for today, what you are saying is that God isn't big enough to handle our problems. That's what you're saying. But I've got great news. God is big enough. God is strong enough. God is capable. And God has the answers for us available in his word. So we're going to compare what culture says about identity, what the Bible has to say. You ready? What we're going to be talking, we're going to narrow the field a little bit. We're going to be talking about identity in gender. <gasps> Hot topic. Hot topic right now. We need to know what the answers are. We need to know what the Bible has to say. Have you thought about this? Why, why does gender matter so much in today's world? 
Why is this even a topic of conversation? It's because a lot of our identity is wrapped up in how we see ourselves in our gender. That's why. It's because this generation is asking the question, who in the world am I? And so we're trying to get to the bottom of it. So depending on who you ask, if you look up the word gender, you'll get a lot of different things. If you look up the word gender in Oxford right now, you will get this definition. Either of the two sexes, male and female, especially when considered with reference to social and cultural differences rather than biological ones. World Health Organization says this, gender refers to the characteristics of women and men, girls and boys, that are socially constructed. Gender is a huge battlefront right now. This has spun off into a pronoun war in the halls of Congress right now. We are arguing over whether we should call them pregnant persons or mothers. This is serious. This is important. What does the Bible say? Instead of getting sucked into what culture says, let's look at what the Bible says. I got three big points for you. You ready? You with me? Okay. Number one, the Bible says that gender is a design. Gender is a design. Lots of Bible verses that we could look at to talk about this. One of them comes from Genesis 5, 1 and 2. It says this. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. The word human there is the Hebrew word Adam. We've heard that before. It means man. So let's reread the last sentence with that in place. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them man. Mr. and Mrs. Man. Mankind. All right? So already we see three big things. That both male and female are made in the image of God. That both male and female are distinct sexes that were created by God, distinctly designed. And from the very beginning, God uses the man to represent the house. This is what we're talking about when we say that gender is a design according to the Bible. See, the Hebrew word, that the, the word Adam that we now use as a proper name, and it's a good one, is the Hebrew word that God uses to identify all of humanity. That's why for most of history, we have called it mankind, because the man represents the house. And I thought it would be a good moment to share a quote from the modern philosopher Jack Handy with you right now. And he says this, Maybe in order to understand mankind, we have to look at the word itself, mankind. Basically, it's made up of two separate words, mank and eind. What do these words mean? It's a mystery, and that's why mankind is a mystery also. This is what we call satire. Jack Handy is a comedian. He's not a philosopher. If you don't understand satire, just look up the Babylon Bee and you will get all you need of satire. Just having a little fun this morning. But I discovered something big as I was getting ready for today's message. How many of you appreciate when the word shapes us? I always thought that your gender was defaulted by your sex. You're a male and therefore your gender is man. You're a female and therefore your gender is woman. I thought that's how the Bible showed it to us. I found out that there's a lot more to it than this. The more I look into the Bible, the more I see that gender really is constructed, that gender really is fashioned and structured. But unlike what culture would claim, that gender is constructed by society, the Bible shows us that gender is constructed 
or let's say designed by God. God has put intention and structure into how he designed gender to be. In other words, we can clap for that. That's fine. Um, in other words, the Bible shows us that gender is by design, not by default. Let's look at some examples. You're going to see what I mean. Jesus said this just before he was crucified, just before he was arrested in Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This word Abba that he uses is powerful. It comes from these two letters, Aleph and Beth, and they each have a meaning. In the Hebrew language, every letter has a meaning and, and, and a, a concept that's associated with it. And Hebrew is from right to left, so the Aleph is on the right, the Beth is on the left, okay? So we're going to um, look at the meaning of these two letters. We're going to see what those mean, all right? The Aleph means ox, bull, gentle, tame, the leader, strength, first. The Beth means house, tent, body, household, family. So see, this word Abba is not just the word for father in another language, but we, it shows us the gender role. It describes the gender role of a father. Are you ready? A strong, gentle, tame leader of the household who carries the burden of his family and produces food for them. A man who is willing to be sacrificed on behalf of his household. See, we have to remember bulls and oxen were beasts of burden that got the job done, right? But they were also animals of sacrifice. I think that speaks volumes of a role that a father is supposed to play for his family. So let's look at something equivalent for the ladies now. Let's look at Genesis 2.24 and it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. The word for mother there is this word. It's Aleph and Samic, a new letter this time. And here's what these letters mean. Aleph, same first letter as for father. I think that's interesting. It shows that the mother is a leader in the home, right? It doesn't go father, children, mother. No, okay? Mother is a leader in the home. But this second letter, Samic, is the one that's interesting. I could not believe this. Listen to the meaning behind this letter. A prop to support, aid, assist. Listen to this one. A slow twisting or turning of the, uh, uh, or turning aside like a propped plant. This is not just a joke, ladies. You really are the neck that turns the head. I couldn't believe it. It's right there. You thought this was just a joke. But already, from just those two words, we can see that there is fundamental design, that there is absolutely distinct design for fathers and mothers. Gender roles. The father is a leader who speaks for the household, and he goes out to produce food for his family. A mother is also a leader of the household, but she plays a supporting role that roots the family together. That's why over and over in the world, we see that for the majority of time, it's the mother who keeps the home running. Okay, you with me? This design is totally natural and normal for most families. When everybody's home on the weekend, we're all getting chores done. My wife is happy when at the end of the day, the kitchen is clean and there's fresh sheets on the bed. Amen. Somebody said amen. So neither one of us really enjoys doing the chores. I know there's some of you like doing the chores and we will pray for you. But <laughs> guess what? Guess what? At least, at least when my, at the end of the day, my wife is happy when 
The kitchen's clean, and there's fresh sheets on the bed. I couldn't care less about clean sheets. I could, mountain of dishes, I can put my head on the pillow. I will admit to you right now that my standard of inside clean is way lower <laughs> than my wife's standard of inside clean, okay? But guess what? I like to look out the window and see how good of a job I did at mowing. She'll look out the window, yeah, lawn looks nice, hun, good job. I'm looking out there and I'm going, do you see those lines? Do you see that freshly trimmed sidewalk? I did that. <laughs> Men, we brag on ourselves for the dumbest things. I don't, you know. But I find myself fantasizing about, like, how can I make this lawnmower go 30 miles an hour? <laughs> like, what do I have to do? Like, what is the, what do I have to twist on the, anyway. So, and most of us married men have experienced this. But what happens is you come home one day and the domestication instinct has been triggered. Because, and you know this, because every surface in your house has been dusted and the whole place smells like pumpkin spice. And so you get this sense of dread, this, this feeling creeps up your neck and you go on a fact-finding mission. Now for some of us men, we have a shed or a shop or a garage and science tells us that the domestication instinct stops at the door. It does not proceed to the outbuildings of the dwelling, okay? But for some of us, that sacred dwelling is inside the house. It's the den, the study, the office. Most of us just call it the man cave. And we have this sense of dread that something terrible has happened. So we set everything down and we go to the man cave and we open the door. Every man cave has a door. If it doesn't have a door, it's not a man cave. We all know this. If it doesn't have a door, it's just another part of the house. So you open the door and sure enough, she cleaned it. <laughs> you had a counter full of stuff. And it was laid out exactly how you wanted it because you knew that you were going to come back for it at some point and you needed it to be laid out exactly how you wanted it so that you would know how to address things when, you, when it was time. And you were very careful to leave it in one spot long enough that the dust would settle around it so that if you picked something up, you would know exactly where it used to be because there's no dust there. And now there's nothing. Now there's, there's no stuff on the countertop. There's no dust. It's all gone. So you go to your wife and you ask the obvious question, honey, where's all my stuff? And she answers you in the most logical way possible. What stuff? And you say, all my things that were on the counter in the man cave. And she says, oh, I put them away. By the way, the countertop was really dusty. I took care of that too. Where's the box? Oh, it's in the man cave with the other boxes. <laughs> right? And so you say the only thing that you can say, thanks. <laughs> right? All right, I'll tell a story on myself. It was, we were three to six months being married, my wife and I. The house we lived in, it had a corner pantry with a 45 degree door. You open it up and the two counters, uh, the two shelves of the pantry meet. I opened the pantry one day and I realized that in our haste of unpacking and getting moved in, we didn't do the pantry right. Because on one side, the shelf went from wall to wall and was supported on the wall, uh, uh, along the wall, the back and the other wall. It was supported on all three sides. The other shelf came to meet it with support only on the back and one side. So there was one side that was totally floating out in the air. 
And wouldn't you know it, we had put all of our heaviest stuff, our crock pots and our cans and our jars, on the weak side of the pantry, not the strong side. And I'm beholding this situation, and I'm going, we're lucky this whole thing hasn't come crashing down. Rob? He's nodding. Yes. So I did the logical thing. I took everything out of the pantry, and I put it on the kitchen counter. And then, uh, just, just wait, just wait. Why are you laughing so soon? Haven't gotten to the punchline yet. So then I put it back together right with all the heaviest stuff on the floor, not even on a shelf, like the crock pots, the big things. Nobody wants to lift heavy things overhead, so you put them on the floor where it makes sense. And then I went from the bottom up with the heaviest things, counting up, you know, from with like the jars and the cans and stuff, and, you know, did it, finished the job. And I wanted you to know, by the time I was finished, there was more space than we had before. It was more efficient. There was, we were ready to put more stuff in the pantry. And it wasn't going to all come crashing down. I was so happy with myself. Until my wife came home. And I told her what a great job I did. And she said, what? <laughs> and so I showed her. And she had words for me. Many, many, many words. Words like, where's all my stuff? And other words like, put it back. <laughs> so we found a solution that worked for both of us. But this is how we're designed, right? Men and, I just used those stories to show you. There's a design to men and women. The genders of manhood and womanhood are designed by God. Men love to have projects and hobbies. There are men who have fleets of hand-painted model airplanes. All right? For some men, their garden is their hobby. Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's woodworking. Just so we all understand, of course, every good hobby requires the purchase of expensive tools. You understand this. We all get this. We all know. Women love a nice home. Right? Men are focused on the house. We're proud of our castle. We're proud of our stuff. Right? Women care about the home, the family, the life of the family. Not even a clean kitchen will make a wife, make a mother feel happy if she knows that her kid is having a hard day. It's just how we're made. And of course, talking about these gender roles brings up some lingering questions, right? Does being the head of the house mean that the man has to be bringing in more money than his wife? No, that's not what that means. Does being the head of the house mean that the man is the only per person who's supposed to have a job? No, that's not what that means at all. Matter of fact, my wife and I are both really grateful that she has a job. She will tell you she loves having a job because it means that she still loves our kids at the end of the day. <laughs> if, I, if she didn't have a job, I would come home one day and we'd be having kids stew because she just couldn't handle it anymore. You mothers know that the only reason God made our children cute is because sometimes that's the only reason they are still with us. <laughs> all right? So let's tackle another question. Does being the head of the house mean that the husband has to do the finances? No, that's not what that means. Remember, leadership, uh, uh, being the head of the house, what that's talking about is leadership and protection. It's about making sure that no matter what, the needs of the family are being met. My wife and I, we handle finances very differently. My wife is way more cautious than I am. She provides more safety nets in our finances than I do. So how good of a leader would I be if I took hold of our finances and we lost everything because of my mismanagement? Would that be good leadership? No. 
So as a leader, the best thing I can do is recognize where the strengths lie in our family and entrust my finances to my wife. That's good leadership. That's good headship. That protects our family. Okay? You understand? And I'm not saying, by the way, that it's a problem if you're the man who wants a spotless kitchen and your wife is twisting a wrench in the garage. Not saying that at all. All right? That's not the point. There are, it's not like there are gender-specific chores. We're not, do, we're not talking about that. What I'm saying is that the home has a specific structure to it that God has designed. As the man of the house, make it your mission to be the best husband and father that you can. Provide for your family. Protect your family. And be the priest of your family. Love and nurture your wife. Just, uh, uh, just like Jesus did for the church. Right? As the lady of the house, make it your mission to be the best support for your house that you can be. Make your nest a place of peace and love instead of a place where there's an undercurrent of frustration. Let me just help you out with something. Ladies, maybe you just need to hear it verbalized from a man's point of view, okay? A home where there is an undercurrent of frustration and resentment is not a place that a man wants to come home to. It got quiet. If you want, if you get the vibe, okay, I'm being, we're just talking real here for a minute. If you get the vibe that your husband is trying to stay away from your home, okay, that could be for a variety of reasons, but we are simple people. Men are not going to go where they don't want to be, okay? If your husband doesn't want to come home at the end of the day, maybe you consider what you could do to make your home a more attractive place that he actually wants to be, Okay, every man wants to land his plane somewhere at the end of the day. If you want that to be your home instead of a friend's house for hours after work, just take a look at what you might be able to change. Obviously, I'm not saying this is all on you as the wife, okay? Your husband has a responsibility to you, just like you have a responsibility to him. But the question is, why would you want to make it feel like a responsibility when you might be able to change something small and make your home an attractive place for your husband to want to come home to every single day, okay? I feel like most of my examples were for the men, so I don't feel like I'm out of balance just by bringing this up, ladies. This is just something that you can think about. So my next big point here, we talked about how gender is a design. Next thing I want to tell you, gender is a calling. This is point number two of three, so stick with me, okay? Gender is a calling. Not only is gender designed by God, but God is calling us to pursue that design. It's not a take it or leave it kind of situation. Okay? God has not designed what manhood and womanhood are supposed to look like and left it up to us to decide if it's worth our time. God is calling us toward the gender that he has called us to be. There's a phrase that has become commonplace in America right now as time, as time goes on. That phrase is gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. The word dysphoria, well, the word euphoria means a state of happiness. The word dysphoria means a state of unhappiness. So gender dysphoria literally means being unhappy with your gender. My heart goes out to people who feel like that, who genuinely feel like they are not supposed to be who they are. This generation is shouting the question, who am I? And there are people in America right now, wouldn't surprise me if there's people in this room right now watching online who are so confused about their identity 
that they question their gender and they even question their sex. What is a man supposed to act like? Do I have to act like that? Am I even supposed to be a man? That would feel like falling down a bottomless well to me. I don't wish that on anyone. This is serious stuff that we're talking about. If you're grappling with gender dysphoria, I want you to know that we care about you. I want you to know that we care about helping you find answers, helping you find identity, and we care about helping you find peace in your heart. This is something that's real in our world today. Remember what I said, we have the answers. Not we as in Grace Church, but we as in anybody who looks in God's word. The answers are there. And I will tell you that the first step to finding real answers is to come to the one who made you. God fashioned you by hand. He's given you gifts and talents and a personality that is 100% unique. So let's repeat this point to, to, to continue. Not only is gender a design, gender is a calling. God wants you to pursue the gender he has designed for you. We can see this really easily in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at some of the verses that Paul tells us to do. This is going to be familiar for a lot of you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And, for, uh, and verse 21, And further, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 528, in the same way as Jesus has taken the rest of the chapter to explain about Paul, uh, about Jesus and the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Men are really simple. We can understand something like, as my own body. Okay, you know. It makes it easy, Right? For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Okay, we can get behind this. We can understand. Okay, so 533 says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and each wife must respect her husband. You should really consider being a part of our Love and Respect Grace Group, which is starting back up September 11th. Love and Respect, that's where this comes from. Powerful stuff. Gender is a calling from God, and we see that on display in this passage, okay? And guys, you got to understand, I could spend all day giving you every chapter and verse, but that's not what today is for, okay? If you, if you want all of the answers and all of the scriptures, I challenge you to get serious with it in your own study time, all right? That's not what Sunday messages are for. We're not here to be the encyclopedia for you. We're here to share God's truth with you and hopefully entice you enough to chase it down on your own. Okay, so I'm not giving you all of the scriptures because there'd be too many. But gender is a calling from God. We're talking about real life. We're talking about real questions. We're talking about real answers today. So point number three, this is a hot one. Are you ready? Gender is a choice. <gasps> right? Might make you bristle just hearing that a little bit. Our gender is full of people shouting that right now. In every corner of social media, on every TV program, gender is a choice, but there's a catch. Culture is, there's an unsaid statement that goes with the statement, okay? Culture says, gender is a choice, and there are no wrong choices. But see, 
Remember what the Bible shows us. Gender is a design. Gender is a calling. And we see in the Bible that gender really is a choice. But unlike what culture says, there might be multiple choices, but not all of them are right. Do you see what I'm saying? Culture shows us that culture tells us there are no wrong choices, but the Bible is very clear that there is a right choice and a wrong choice. Here's what I mean. Everybody knows, okay? You don't have to teach this. Everybody knows that just because you're a male does not make you a man. Just because you have the ability to procreate and have children does not make you a father. Manhood and fatherhood, motherhood and womanhood, these are not automatic. These are roles that you choose to walk out. You walk them out because you choose to walk them out. So that's what I'm saying today. Gender is a choice. You have a choice of whether or not to pursue the calling that God has put on you to be the gender that he has designed. As a male, you can choose to be a godly man or not. You can choose to provide for your family and to lead them in a godly lifestyle, or you can choose not to. You can choose to be the protector of your family and to be the priest of your home or not. As a female, you can choose whether or not to be the best wife and mother possible, whether or not to set an example in your nest of love and peace. You can choose whether or not to support your husband's ministry. You can choose whether or not to walk out your own. You also have the choice to partner up with your spouse in ministry and do it together. Take it from somebody who gets to do that. It's fun and it's so rewarding for your marriage to serve in ministry together. This is for all of us. You can choose whether to be encouraging or critical. You can be an encouraging husband or you can be a critical one. You can be an encouraging wife or you can be a critical one. Just because you have a choice though, that doesn't mean that all the choices are right. When it comes to the gender that God has designed for you, there is a wrong answer and a right answer. God has designed your gender and God is calling you toward that design. So are you going to choose the design that God has intended for you? Or are you gonna tell God, no thanks? Let me bring up another hot topic. In our culture right now, in American culture, culture would say that concerning gender, there is a third option. There is a fourth option, a fifth option, a sixth option, and so on. But for the choice you need to make about following God's calling for your gender, there are only two choices. One choice is, yes, Lord, I choose to pursue how you designed me to be, and I will pursue it with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. I bow my heart to you in every way. Or, no thank you, Lord, I'm not interested in how you made me. I'm my own boss and I am in charge. Let me remind you of this simple fact and, and we're almost done. I say this with all love and compassion, by the way. I, ho I hope that you hear my heart today. Once again, I care about if this is a struggle for you. God is not interested in being second place in your life. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. And we wrestle with that because we see the word jealousy as a bad thing. But we misuse that word. You know what jealousy really means? 
Jealousy means being possessive of something that rightfully belongs to you. That's why when we use phrases like a jealous husband or a jealous wife, what we're talking about is somebody who has every right to be possessive of the attention of their spouse because they belong together. Okay? The word that we use, that we should be using, is envy when we want something that belongs to somebody else. But our God is a jealous God. Our God wants us because we belong to him. Our heart belongs to him. If you say you're a Christian, you bear his name, guess what? That means that there are some strings attached. That means you owe him your heart and you owe it to him to let him be the boss, to let him be in charge, to let him be the Lord of your life. And look, put aside these issues of, you know, gender uh, dysphoria, put aside the issue of homosexuality, heterosexuality. Maybe what we've talked about today has just challenged you like, wow, am I really being a godly husband? Am I really being a godly father? Am I really being a godly wife, mother? Maybe that maybe you today are like, you know what? I am coming up short and I'm going to work on that. So we're going to pray together because I think, I think all of us, like there's nobody who is outside the blanket today. We all need to pursue what God has called us to be. Amen. So let's go before the Lord together right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you because we need you. God, how we need you. How much we need you. God, I ask you to show us how to be more like you. Prompt us to read your word. Lord, help it to sink in when we take the time. God, we pursue everything that you've designed for us to be. We commit today, Lord, that we're going to be who you've called us to be. We're not going to hold back anymore. And Lord, I thank you that the victory is yours and the victory is available for us through you today. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.